Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to the Game Master's Studio, where we'll be talking about role-playing games, tabletop games, and what you can do to help improve some of your own games at home. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about starting off a campaign and bringing your characters together. There's a lot of different tricks we can use. We're going to try to help break it down, help you make that transition to getting the game running be a little bit easier. My name is Jerry. I go online, handle of Frieden, host and moderator today, and GM with almost three decades of experience. With me is, is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional GM, and Ed. I am the one who knocks. <laughs> so today, like I said, we are talking about starting off your campaigns, bringing the players together, and getting things off to a good start. Well, we wanted to actually start by going over some of the stereotypical starts that you have. These are the ones we've seen a million times over, and they're there because they work. We keep using them because we can bring people together quick and easy and get to the real meat of the game that you really want to get to, um, whether that's deep immersive role-playing, hack and slash, or maybe just killing off a few PCs. Starting with stereotypes, of course, the first and most important because it's used all the time, is everybody meets in an inn. It's a fantasy trope that is everywhere, from Lord of the Rings to Dragonlance Chronicles and beyond. You see party members meeting up in an inn and heading out on an adventure. Um, some of the other useful military, or <laughs> some of the other useful stereotypes include being drafted into the military or enrolling voluntarily and being assigned as part of a unit. Everybody wakes up in jail, whether or not they remember the night before and the reason they're all there is entirely optional. Uh, finding themselves in slavery, if you're going for a little bit darker game. Uh, kidnapping, everybody getting kidnapped can follow under that. We brought up, we were talking this and we brought up the idea of a, what we call the summoner. That is a character yeah. who goes around, meets with each of the players, recruits them for their individual talents to bring them all together under a common employer. Employment can also be Caravan guards being, or other mercenaries being hired on for a specific task. We've got the option of sharing misfortune. People in the wrong place at the wrong time. Everybody's kind of screwed in the same boat, so they have to work together, whether it's to clear their names or just survive. Uh, a bounty or a call for help going out that all the players answer and are working together on. Uh, action sequences, starting it off with a bang. Everybody, this kind of goes under wrong place, wrong time, but with everybody together, all of a sudden, orcs kick in the door and start attacking the townsfolk. What do you do? Great way to get the game off and running with players reacting instead of sitting there being awkward, forcing them to act if they want to keep that player alive. And a little more advanced topic of everyone knows everyone. You go into the game, and when you start there, Everybody already knows the rest of the party so that you don't have to spend that time awkwardly kind of introducing each other, which we will also be talking about a little bit later on in the show. So those are some of the ways that you can start a game, at least if you want to follow the tried and true. 
Um, but while we were discussing, Ed brought up an important bit that we felt we should share, and that's actually before the game starts, talking to players about their place in the world. Um, Ed, did you want to share your thoughts on that? Yeah, so when you're telling the players, you know, really what you mean by what your place in the world is, is as people, we all know, okay, well, we live in, you know, uh, the society we live in, you know, we happen to be in the United States, you know, uh, you know where you live, you know the people in your area. So expanding on that, part of the world building process, which will be a different topic, but part of that process is you want to have uh, a geography and a history, even a basic one, uh, ready for your players. Uh, a world map is great, but if you're starting on a smaller scale, then just a town map is fine. Uh, a, a basic history of you know what's been going on in the area, um, either over the just the last few months, which is the reason for the call to arms, or uh, you know a, a broader world-based history, you know declaring the wars, that sort of thing, you know uh, the different uh, the, the the different uh, racial tensions that might come up, you know. So making sure that you review and everybody knows what their characters would reasonably be, be expected to know. Yeah, exactly. You know, you want your characters to know. Okay, well. Uh, Maybe in this world, you know, the dominant race is elves. Or maybe in this world, people don't like them so much, you know, and, and you know, they're seen as scum. As a GM, you get the opportunity to make your, your own world. But when you do that, you want to make sure you give the players tools uh, to kind of build their history around. Because you want them to have their own unique character and you want them to generate their background. But you also want... You know, you want that to fit your world. Also, beyond that, part of fleshing the world out is also NPCs. Um, you know, whether or not you like to have a lot of NPCs during the actual game is up to you, you know, with the party. But, you know, in a fantasy realm, you know, you need to have the king and his archmage or the, you know, not necessarily just the villain, but the, the, the players are going to, or the characters that the players will interact with. Uh, one example of this is in a superhero game I ran, you know, I gave everyone a clear definition of these are the guys that are basically like the Avengers, and these are the guys that are like the five or six main villains that operate in this, this town, and now here you guys are down at level one, you know, you already know who they are because they're big players, but these are people you're going to have to look out for. Right, and there's a, there's a lot of history and a lot of you know, learning their place in the world. One of the tricks that I like to use uh, involving player backstories, and again, another topic for another day, but as a player provides me the backstory as a GM, I always try to get the agreement and understanding that the backstory that you've provided to me is the backstory as your character knows it. Right. There may be some changes. There may be some stuff that I may have to change behind the scenes, but what they've provided to me is what their character understands it to be absolutely yeah i think a big thing with backgrounds is i think as a from a player standpoint you know i've always tried to approach backgrounds as a way to give the dm material to work with my character right you know i purposely involve a couple little uh empty holes there that i don't know about you know like something important you know to my character but that can be manipulated you know, right. maybe a hole or two for the DM to work with. A lot of players have a tendency to say, oh, my character is an orphan and has no friends, and now he's in this town. And a lot of that, that's okay, sometimes you have an orphan character. 
But a lot of that also comes from, I don't want my character to have a backstory that someone can manipulate. And, okay, people are going to do that, but as a GM, you should encourage them not to, because that takes away from what gaming really is, which is a storytelling. Mm-hmm. I've actually used that in combination with my, your backstory is as you know it, to turn that on, on its head for a player who may have been trying something like that. Um, he said that his mother died in childbirth his, and his father took him away to live off wherever. And so, okay, that's as you understood it, as you've always been told, where the actual story was an assassin had killed his mother. The father had killed the assassin and fled with the child in the night. And now the Assassin's Guild is looking to finish the contract and kill the entire family. So we're able to weave that in. And the player had those interesting rev- revelations. Is like, wait, my father lied to me about what happened to my mother. Mm. What else? What else is going on? Right. Speaking of backstories and getting into that, um, Jared, you've always been a big fan of prologues, setting things up ahead of time for characters. Yeah, I think, uh, and again, a valuable tool for doing that is the characters having a background. I always encourage my players to write backgrounds for my games, especially since I have a set world where people exist. They have information available to them. At any time, you know, if they have questions, they can always go on my forums where I have the world information listed. But by them giving me a background that I have very something very specific and personal to work with, to create a prologue before the game starts. I like to do prologues, whether it's role-played or discussed prior to the game or just written out. I've done a game or two where I just wrote a page or two and handed it, you know, in an envelope to each player. This is your prologue. It's, in you know, individual, unique, you know. It can be a little bit of extra work for you DMs and GMs out there, but, you know, you know, because you're writing a page, page and a half for every individual character. But it gives a nice setup, and you're not wasting a lot of time at the table working with just one player while everyone else is sitting there bored or ignoring what's going on and kind of twiddling their thumbs. But it, and again, it makes things very personal. You know, the more you can get on a personal level with that character and with their background, the more it's going to affect the player and the more interested they're going to be in your game, in my opinion. You know, if you have a character that has a background where, again, you know, your the father ran off with you in the middle of the night, and then the prologue is you found out the truth and you're angry at your father, so you snuck out in the middle of the night, and now you know you've wandered for days through the woods, and you end up in this town at this bar. You know, this is very you know summarizing what I would do, but you know, it it kind of connects. Like, oh yeah, I would. You know, I I am angry at my father for lying to me, and I would sneak. You know what? That's exactly what I would do. I, I snuck out, and okay, so that's why I'm here. Instead of just you're at a bar. Okay. Oh, that's how I got to the bar. That's where I am. You know, that's how. And it sets up your game. You do that for every individual character, and every individual character can be where you need them to be to start the game. You can have everyone at the tavern or in jail or kidnapped, and you can go back to those tropes, but then you're putting your own twist on it. You're getting them there in their own unique way instead of just saying, well, you all start in a bar. And it's also very good to do that to prevent the players from saying that they wouldn't be at the bar. You give them, this is the reason why you're here. It gives them that mood. It gives them that little jump start on the role play. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm not I'm not telling you you're at the bar. I'm telling you why you're at the bar. Um, I know the White Wolf system specifically has prologues. They almost suggest doing a mini session with each player. Um, you know, you were talking about typing up, writing a prologue so that they to give that little lead-in, the running start to the world. Uh, White Wolf, 
gives the suggestion to do a quick run over of between just a free form role play between the DM or the storyteller in, in White Wolf terms and the player so that they understand who their character is, where they've been, what they've been through. And it's almost a uh, the past 25 years of your life summed up in like a 20 minute session. Um, I'm not fond of going that extreme, but I'll often start off a game with grabbing each player for two to three minutes and just like, okay, here's what's going on. Here's how you're doing. Here's what you've been up to. Here's why you are where we are when the story starts. Yeah, because that's that's not even really doing a prologue, in my opinion. That's kind of like a co-written background. You know, if you're covering 20 years of the character's life, that's more background than prologue. So, I mean, that's... And when it comes to writing backgrounds, I'm a big fan of, like, this is one of the most significant events in my character's life. You don't need 30 years to be covered. Like, oh, I'm, my character's 40 years old. I don't need 35 years of that to be covered on paper. Tell me about the most significant, like, tell me about the crossroads that your character has, you know, had to deal with. You know, what, you know, life-altering events have, you know, shaped what who your character is today. That's what I need to know. You know, what's significant to your character? Because not everyone remembers every single day of their life, but they remember the big moments, what shaped, you know, who they are today. And if you have a well-written background with that kind of information, then you should be able to articulate who that character is and where they're coming from to be able to write a prologue that is encompassing that kind of emotion, you know, that kind of thought process, and not have to have that one-on-one moment. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that one-on-one moment, but again, that's time you're taking away from other players if they're all in the same room, or that's extra time out of your life prior to a game where you have to get together with somebody. Hey, um, we're playing this Sunday. Can you come over Wednesday night for a couple hours so that way we can role play when I could have just spent that couple hours writing something out and handed it to you before the game starts? Yeah. You all get to read together at the same time your prologues. You all get to go, oh, that's cool at the same time. Okay, so we're all here at the same time. We're all at this tavern at the same time. All right, cool. Let's go. Just one of uh, my personal tricks, one of my personal things that I like to do. And you're doing those those generated prologues where it's just the DM's taking control of your character for a moment and doing that 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 written, that brief story is also a great way to get new players in. Mm-hmm. So they can start to see, here's kind of how this works. Here's kind of what's going on. You don't have control at this point. But then when you do, you're off to a running start. And and I I like what you said there. This is the GM taking control of your character for a moment. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure we've all come across, you know, players who, who initially wouldn't like something like that. So, But that's, when you do this, that's how you want to project that. It's like, hey, look, this is your character, you know, but this is our game. Mm-hmm. You know, I've generated this, you're playing in it. This is just how we're getting you to it. Right. You know. And I've in my spare time, come up with some of the rules of gaming. And one of the rules is the GM is God, but the players have free will. You know, the GM can do whatever they want within the bounds of the world, except make decisions for the players. The players need to do that. So they're kind of consenting to allow the DM to do this for a little bit with the understanding that this is to move them in and they're going to have control from there on out. Yeah, right? and, for, yeah. and for me, I have always looked at that as, like, it comes down to trust. If you, like, and that's something that takes can take a while to build, especially with a new group, but the players need to trust in me as the DM that I'm working in their best interests. 
Right. And but they but you need to share that trust. You need to you know to pay it forward too. Like I need to trust in them that they're gonna not just derail the game just because they can. Because oh well, my druid doesn't want to go and do this kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like okay, you know. It, we're all working together and we all want to participate. So where I'm taking control of your character for a moment to get you where I need to start, you're also taking, you know, the players have moments where they're taking control of the game. Yeah. Whether they realize it or not, they're taking control of the game away from me for just a moment because, oh, well, you wanted me to go over this way, but I'm going to go over that way. And, hey, I'm going to start a fight club. Exactly. Okay. For, for but, new- I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean oh. to step on your toes there. That's right, you know, but again, it just comes down to trust. You know, as long as you trust the players and the players trust you and you have that bond, then right. you can share and relinquish that control for a little bit, you know, for a few moments at a time. Yeah, that can be intimidating for new uh, GMs is the point I was trying to make. Sorry for stepping on your toes there. No, but that's all right. The, uh, the idea being that, you know, one of the intimidating things you can do is have your characters in there, kind of give them that brief background and then say, okay, what do you do now? Because you, now you're throwing everything onto them. They could say, I want to go start a bar fight. They could say, I want to leave town. You know, to an extent, you want them to follow what you're doing, but at the same time, you want to give them that kind of that leeway. And when you're not as experienced a GM, that can be rough sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, on the subject of, of the player GM trust, with your prologues, you also need to make sure that they're acting in character. Right. You don't mm-hmm. want to have somebody playing the barbarian who's always thought of himself as the biggest, toughest guy on the block, and then the player's reading their prologue and the barbarian immediately surrenders without a fight. You know, you need to show them that I'm going to trust and respect you so that you can get this started. Right. Um, you know, trust is very much a commodity. It's bought, it's used, and if you've run out, you don't have any in you can't get that connection so you you're jump-starting that that trade by saying look i tr- you have reason to trust me because you didn't really have a choice here but i didn't disrespect you yeah you're showing yeah. that proof right off the bat like i understand your character i understand what you're trying to do here and i understand what you want and what you would do had you had control you're the big barbarian that wants to always be the biggest toughest dude in the room and prove it whenever you know necessary or whenever an opportunity presents itself, that's exactly how this prologue reads. That's exactly what you would have done. And they can read it and go, he really understands what I want to do as a character. And you can just prove to them and gain that little extra ounce of trust right off the bat before you've even actually rolled any dice yet, you know, at the table. And I had that situation personally with the prologue where I was playing a character who was very different from what I normally play. Um, Quick side story here. I normally play the very calculating smart guy and I was choosing to intentionally play kind of a a ditzy airhead type guy and I had done some background I talked with uh, well it was Jared because this was in Wrath about my character and when I got the prologue and I read through it I'm like that's kind of stupid but that's entirely what he would have done because he got in trouble and he entirely screwed himself over by making a rash impulsive decision that was entirely in character even if I hadn't fully fleshed out the character yet right Um, I'm glad I interpreted it correctly (laughs) (laughs) Um, and actually speaking of understanding who the characters are and sharing those with each other um, we were talking a little bit as well about introducing the characters Mm -hmm. once you've brought them in once you've got them together they're all seated at the same table in the inn, letting them introduce each else, themselves to each other. Yeah, uh, I think 
certainly you're, you're going to have that point anyway. Uh, you don't necessarily want to introduce the character by describing them to the other player. Um, you, you can do that, but I, I always like to say, well, and then your character meets and then point to the player and then suggest they at least describe themselves. Um, I also like, though, if you when, when you're starting a game, make sure there's a point in your game towards the beginning, maybe after an action scene or just before it or however, where you're giving them all a chance to talk to each other. You know, in some instances, as we mentioned before, with the, uh, the, the, the ways to introduce games, they don't always know each other, you know? So let them, let them play it out. I've had a game where I've sat the players in jail cells, you, you, you know, using the you all wake up in jail trope, and I'm going to sit there, and the game started to get a little bit awkward because the players weren't interacting, but you know what? They were all sitting in jail. There wasn't much else going on, and they realized that we're going to have to talk to each other. And they started, you know, talking, interacting, and getting that going. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really good tool because it gets that interaction started. Gives you a really kind of good idea as to how to play your character a little bit. So, yeah, maybe you're all at the at the tavern to meet the, you know, the quest giver. And you all get to role play against the quest giver. But then he's going to leave. And you're still at this tavern. And now you're with four to six other people who, you know, who... uh who don't know each other, and the only thing you have in common is you've all been summoned for this quest or whatever. Yeah, I mean, combining that idea with the idea that you mentioned earlier that's another trope is the whole, like, starting off with a bang is, depending on how you run your combats, if you run your combats a little bit more role-play than some others, it's a really great opportunity for introductions to be made during combat because depending on what your party build-up is made up of, especially if it's a lot of fighters and barbarians, Nothing introduces their character better than seeing the giant, you know, the the half giant with the huge maul smashing some goblin's head in with one hit. But, you know, and but having that conversation like, hey, get over here, little one. <laughs> Smash, but allowing them to role play in the moment. I mean, it, uh, again, it kind of comes down to how you run your combat. Some people are just like, I rolled an 18 and did this that much damage. Um, I try to, not in my last game, sadly, but typically I try to do more role play in my combats where I actually ask you to describe, like, what you're doing. Like, what are you doing? Don't tell me any numbers yet. Tell me what you're doing. You know, and I might even just give them the AC. Like, this is the AC you need to hit. You tell me if you hit or miss. Role play out what you're doing. You need a 15 to hit this thing. You roll. Don't even tell me what you rolled. You tell me if you hit or miss. I trust you. You know, again, comes down to player trust. If you trust your, your group enough for this... Okay, well, I, okay, well, I, again, I'm a half giant, I have this giant maul, I pick up my maul with two hands over my head, I come down swinging, and I, I rolled maximum damage, so I'm gonna just assume, because I know these goblins only have a couple hit points, boom, I smash his head into the ground, he's a pool of blood on the ground, I'm like, ha, I bet you guys can't do that one, ha, 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 and like, okay, well, we've established we got a big giant barbarian over here, likes to smash, talks in a little bit broken, you know, common English, whatever you want to call it, and, you know, is a little bit of a show-off. Okay, well, that's just a little bit of a moment. And that's just one turn in a combat where you got to kind of intro your character. And it's a little bit different. You know, you can, you know, encourage conversation during combat, not giant monologues, but, you know, little quick one-liners say, you know, okay, tell me what you're doing. Are you saying anything while you're doing that? And just kind of give them some free reign. At least, even if you don't do that in all of your combats during an... Um, starting off with a bang intro sequence, if your characters have not yet had a chance to have a dialogue yet, 
it's a great opportunity for some really cinematic moments if it can be pulled off right it, it takes practice but it's it's i think it's a, a great opportunity to see some really cool moments for your characters mm. and it takes time for your players to get used to that but i think like everyone really appreciates it in the you know in the aftermath another nice advanced technique is to have players playing off of other players um we had a session once where we introduced the characters they came in one player really playing to his strengths introduced his character he was the motor mouth he was always running always commented on everything whether you wanted it or not um and he was sitting next to me at the table so like as i was making my character i'm like hey check this out you know um and then when i came in i was playing a half giant so my guy was just this massive character and his character was already cocky sitting with his back to the door my guy comes in and he turns around to make a crack and just he the player intentionally had this guy who's been running his mouth catch his breath at the size of my guy mm -hmm. right there i had my establishing character moment and it didn't come from my character yes and yeah. that was a really cool moment mm -hmm. and you've got to have the players that trust and work with each other to have that happen Player reactions to other players can be a great introduction tool. And that comes from communication both in-game and out-of-game. Yep, you're absolutely right. Well, we kind of got off a little bit there, and we are running out of time, so we're going to have to wrap it up here. There's a lot more that we could say on starting a campaign, on bringing your characters together. It's something that's really important to get your campaign off to a good, solid start. And I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic in the future. Um, in the meantime... We'll be back next week with more tips and tricks on your games. You can follow us. Look us up on Facebook. We have a message board available, GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at GMS Studios. We'll be back with more tips and tricks to help you out next week. And we'll see you next time we stop into the studio. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.